Hey everybody and welcome to a special edition of Talk To Me Birdie with Brian here. I have a special guest here, Garrett Gritsky with Geome Putters. And we are here today to talk about a really awesome launch that he has going on. So Garrett, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Hey Brian, thanks. Awesome to be on. So Geom uh, started with uh, a little bit of an idea last year. And the idea was to make fully custom putters in the same way that, you know, national custom maybe makes irons to grind to every player's specs and to make something that maybe they hadn't seen before, a little different shape, a little different design, but something that was fully them and customized for each player. So that's how Geome was born. We started making heel shafted blades, fully custom for each player. We moved into a mid-mallet design that tried to, you know, chase that same kind of feel that we were after in our heel shafted blades. And you know what? Pretty successful at that. Selling pretty well, doing some some pretty interesting stuff custom with, with uh, a lot of players. And so now, you know, as you mentioned before, we're kind of looking at a you know a different player maybe the same player some quality kind of products coming out that are at a little bit more reasonable price point because let's face it you know golf is expensive golf equipment especially is expensive so we're trying to trying to target a little bit more of an every everyday kind of player but still after that same quality and same kind of handcrafted kind of feel you know absolutely absolutely so what's uh, what's your difference with uh, your full custom line, and now what you're going into? What's what you're launching tomorrow for pre-order called the uh, the local series here on the fifteenth? Yeah. Okay. Great question. So, you know, like back in the day with these like incredible McGregor forgings. Now we have these you know endo forgings, and what a lot of guys do is they'll grab those forgings for irons and they'll grind something out of it, right? So you start with this blank which is made to kind of some generic specs, right? It's a little bit overweight, 35 grams overweight. Then you take it to the wheel and you create something out of it for every player, you know? So we took that idea and we designed, you know, in our fully handmade blades, we designed this blank that could accommodate basically any head weight from, you know, 450 grams down and any shape, uh, into this blade format so basically we go to the wheel we grind it out we make something specific to each player so those are our fully handmade blades we we have them in stainless steel we have them in um copper you know and we we do them you know kind of custom for every player we do the same thing now with mallets we put that mass uh you know kind of like uh, a muscle back iron right behind the ball and then we grind it out on the wheel. We make a shape specific to every player. So that kind of a blade and that kind of a mallet requires, you know, some pretty heavy conversation, right? We talk about your stroke. We talk about the type of player we are, you are. We talk about your setup. We talk about all these golf nerdy kind of things in order to arrive at this perfect kind of package that fits your eye, that fits your game, that fits how you like to putt. So the problem with that is that for everyday golfers who know, you know, they might know Scotty Cameron, they might know Ping, they might, maybe they know Bettinardi or, or, you know, some of these other little bit more boutique brands, maybe. 
but all they know is answer style, you know, or like some Delmar kind of mallet style blades. They know these classic shapes, TP Mills, maybe they know these shapes. So these guys who make up, you know, a bigger portion of this golfing population, they want to see a blade maybe they recognize. They want to see a shape maybe that they're a little bit more familiar with, a plumber's neck, a slant neck, whatever, to, you know, standard specs. And they, you know, might have a little bit more familiarity with something that they see that maybe they recognize, right? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get that kind of craftsmanship we put in our handmade blades but with three, a little bit more, you know, my fingers are up in the air, classically styled blades for people to kind of have an introduction to Geom, right? Like, like, here's a blade we make that has a little twist on an answer. Here's a blade we make that has a little twist on like a, a you know, a TP Mills or, or a Monterey or a Laguna. And here's a blade that we make that has, you know, a little bit of twist on these other kind of classic slant neck blades. And so in that way, we're trying to target this golfer who, who is not a golf nerd, right? Like yeah. you and I, we're golf, we're golf nerds. So I say, you know, <laughs> I love this classic, you know, uh, swallowtail or, or, you know, pintail, uh, TP Mills kind of shape. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, even, if I, even if I say answer to a normal golfer, they're like, I'm sorry, what? You know, and if I say, oh, you know, the kind of putter Tiger Woods plays, now they're kind of getting it, right? So... It's, it's not a far step from, you know, this, this uh, community of golf nerds to now this community of golfers who aren't really equipment junkies. So now we're, we want to talk to those guys, right? So we've made this new line to standard specs out of, you know, carbon steel, which is super soft uh, material, 1045 carbon steel. And we hope that these blades, at, at a lower price point, right, they're like, you know, less than 60% of our handmade blades, as far as cost goes, will appeal to those guys. The full package, you get the, you know, the shaft, the grip, the head cover, and the putter out the door, you know, just over 300 bucks. Nice. Nice. So what's... Yeah, and you know, the, the goal is, is that they get this putter in their hands. They, they're feeling it and they realize the benefit of having something, you know, custom design. And, and maybe at some point, you know, they become a golf nerd. <laughs> they become an equipment junkie because they realize now, oh, there's real benefit in talking to, you know, a boutique craftsman about my game and getting something maybe in the future that's like actually fully fit for me, you know, actually fits how I play. So that's the goal. It, it's kind of like Geome introduces itself to the world as an introduction to, hey, here's here's the real concept. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is math, math behind the ball, custom ground blades for every player. No, and I, that's what uh, I know when me and you were talking about it, I, I think that's what uh, was so intriguing about this local series was, you know, you stepping out away from just the custom world where, yeah, you get the guys like me and some of the other golf nerds out there who are just sitting there going, oh, this is awesome. I can spec this thing out just completely. And then, but but other people are like, oh, that'd be too overwhelming. Um, and, and then this series is great because it's like, oh, no, here you go. This is going to give you that concept of Geom Potters, but in your style that you're used to looking at. Exactly. And you know what? From a marketing standpoint, it, it breaks down a little bit of a barrier, right? Because the barrier, you know, I would say 
68% of the time when I'm talking with, you know, prospects who you are thinking about a custom handmade geom blade or mallet, they're like, okay, I need to try one. It's like, well, they're like spec, spec blades don't exist, you know, like, and so that's the barrier is I'm not comfortable with this because I'm dropping, you know, 500 plus dollars on this thing. I, I want to know that it's going to be there for me, right? And if you're not a golf nerd, you don't know what the specs, what, you know, I changed this spec, whatever, what, how that's going to change the actual tool in my hand. So now we break that barrier by saying, oh, yeah, that looks like Tiger Woods butter. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. You know, that looks, that looks like Phil Mickelson's butter. Perfect. I, I get how that's going to play. I don't have to try it, right? So for, a, you know, for an online business, for, a, you know, someone who doesn't have a retail shop or a retail presence, we can break down that mental barrier just by saying, okay, these kind of look like blades you know. These kind of look like clubs you already see, you see on tour, you know, you see at your local club. Now you feel comfortable purchasing it without feeling it first. Absolutely. So what are the names of the first line up here in the local series that we're going to be pre-ordering on the 15th? Yeah, great question. So, uh, the names of the blades, they're all named after, uh, you know, some of the fathers of incredible golf. So, uh, local one is the Jack blade. So it's like, uh, named after Jack Nicholas, obviously, you know, a very, um, classically styled answer style of blade with, you know, uh, a cavity and bumpers on the back and a plumber's neck. Uh, local two is a Sam blade. So it's named after Slammin' Sammy Sneed. Uh, it also has a plumber's neck, but a little bit... Okay, so this this is where these blades get a little bit more geom. So, you know, the uh, the plumber's neck now is triangular in shape. We call it our, our trigonometric plumber's neck. And then also on the back, what you have is uh, a little, like, kind of visual technology we're pioneering called uh, prismetric sight lines. So what, is, what it means is that Instead of having grooved and paint-filled sight lines on the putter, now the actual contours of the muscle back on the back of the blade provide you that alignment aid. So that's, that's local too. It, it's one sight line in the middle for those golfers that line up in the middle of the ball uh, with a trigonometric uh, plumber's neck with a full shaft offset. Now the third blade is Gene, named after Gene Sarazen. So this is now a, a slant neck with a half shaft offset. Again, trigonometric. It's a triangular style um, uh, uh, neck. So you know, part of the part of the idea there is we take a little bit of the weight away from the neck and we put it where it really matters, is behind the ball. But then it has uh, three sight lines for those that line up, you know, to the outside, the actual uh, diameter of the golf ball in the middle of the club. Three prismetric sight lines that allow you to, to line it up that way. So those two, you know, I'm getting a little bit geeky in my own terminology there for the spam and, and, spam and the gene, but it, it's really, like I said before, you know, the jack is fully classically styled. There's not a lot of geome touches there. You get into the SAM and you get into the gene, now you start seeing kind of our design touches, right, as, as a little bit more of a, a gateway into kind of what we do on our fully handmade side. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I think that's great because, like you said, this is you know this is kind of a little bit of a welcoming party to the standard golfer of who Geom is. Um, and before we go, 
uh, I do have to ask basically two things. Uh, first, let's talk just real quick. I know we could talk a long-winded about this, but real quick, what is Geome? What is the point of Geome? And what you know, whenever you're talking about the the purpose of what you're trying to do, um, let the listeners know what we talk about sometimes of basically what your purpose is for the way you move weights around and the, and everything. Absolutely. So you know, the way that I like to to describe it to someone who's never heard or used or whatever our clubs. I say, have you ever cured a muscle back three iron down the fairway? You know, and if the guy says yes, then they understand the concept, right? Yep. A muscle back three iron has all of its mass directly behind the center of gravity, directly behind the ball. So when you get it, it feels like nothing else, right? So now take that technology. Here's the idea. Take that technology, you know, technology, quote unquote, <laughs> and put that in a putter. So where should the mass be? Let's put it right behind the ball, right behind the center of gravity. So on a stroke that's repeatable and a stroke that you use, you know, almost half of your golf game, why not duplicate that feel of that pure strike, right? That, that is the entire idea behind Geom is I want that feel in my putter. You know, when I just absolutely catch my 56-degree wedge and it just feels like I'm, like I'm going to join the tour tomorrow – that's the feel we wanted in putter. So we put, you know, especially in our handmade blades and in our mallets, the mass directly behind where it really matters, right? And that goes flies in the face of, you know, <laughs> 50 years of putter design since since uh, um, uh, the ping came out with the answer of moving the weight away from the ball. Now we're saying, no, 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 get the weight behind the ball. Get the mass behind the ball where it can have the most influence on what you're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's... And that's where, you know, down the road, we're going to get back together and uh, you guys will get to hear a little bit of geeking out about even more about Geom Putters. But we wanted to get out here and talk about his local series so that you guys can uh, get your hands on some putters that, like he said, you're used to looking at. You're, you're used to the style and everything and you can get introduced into the Geom world. So where can uh, some people pre-order these Geom Putters at, Garrett? So if you head to our website starting tomorrow, 9 a.m. Pacific, um, geomputters.com. So G-E-O-M putters.com. And uh, you can put your pre-order deposit down. Uh, the pre-order go for a couple weeks. And then once it's closed, we'll do the final payment. And then you'll you'll get your blade in the mail. Awesome, awesome. Well, any last words before we, before we get off here today? Well, you know, I, I just think that all golfers... <laughs> at some point should become golf nerds, right? Because what you'll find is like this community of golf nerds is actually incredible, right? We, it's like yeah. we, you know, we have each other's back. We, we have this shared uh, support of this game and it, it's incredible. You know, once we start talking, once we start this conversation, you'll kind of get hooked. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It is, uh, it is a lot of fun to be called a golf nerd and to talk with everyone because, I, I mean, you and I would not be having this conversation and, and launching out on this local series if we had not met through Instagram about six or seven months ago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? The social media makes it all possible. Like, I was reading an article yesterday about Sweden, and they said we would not exist if it weren't for social media. You know, it's a, it's a, different, a different time, a, a new kind of 
world with regards to golf, and it's a great, a great feel. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I hope everybody has a great day. Don't forget, 15th, 9 a.m., take a look at geomputters.com, geomputters. Take a look at his local series if you want to uh, get a trial on a putter um, that you are used to the style of. And while you're there, if you want to totally geek out, go take a look at what you can do custom-wise because he's got some pretty cool stuff. This is Brian with Talk To Me Birdie. You guys have a great day. <clears throat> so overall, what was uh, how was your overall experience? Sorry, no, my... you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> this is really just my notes primarily. Like, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, overall experience, it was great. Um, honestly, like I was telling you before, I had a new eye-opening to what AFSA actually does get to bring to the table. Um, I like that I got to experience different levels of leadership. Yeah. And so, um, sorry. <clears throat> me off. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> That's the whole point to make people just like, just uncomfortable <laughs> like, enough they can be like, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think it's my first time ever doing something like this too, so it's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, overall, the AFSA experience was great. Um, it really did put, I think it made everyone feel really unique and to the to the point of being invited there to see such a big picture mission of what's going on. Um, we had all the chief mass sergeants, some of the pre previous chief mass sergeants at the airports come and visit us. We had people, we had actually Chief Wright come and talk to us. Um, we also had people from, sorry, let me go through oh, a couple of my notes. Um, there was like, I feel like there was about seven or eight conferences a day and some of them overlap, so it kind yeah, of gave you that yeah. freedom to Pick and, pick and choose yeah, yeah so i really appreciate that because some of the stuff you know you're like um was maybe near retirement i'm like well i'm not really there yet so i got to actually go listen in instead on like the dsd meet and greet and okay stuff like that so all right so let's talk about day one which was what day one was just information gathering <clears throat> so they had okay. about i want to say about maybe it felt like 20 maybe 20 25 booths of just what so many different organizations so you had um, obviously, AFSA booths, you had USAA booths, you had all these Columbia Southern school right. booths and everything like that. And so it was just that intro of a lot of people were walking out with like bags of like just a bunch of free stuff, like right. t shirts and all that. So it was just kind of letting them know all these organizations that support AFSA yeah. and your opportunity to come and enjoy coffee or drinks or whatever and talk to all these sponsors and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun to see some of those places and, and find out how they impact AFSA too. Like, uh, I don't know if you know Bellevue, for instance, gives you like a scholarship every year. If you're AFSA? an AFSA member, yeah. Oh no, I did not <laughs> yeah, know that. Yeah, it's like a thousand dollars plus they give like tuition, uh, like a reduced, reduced tuition amount and everything else. It's really cool. So a lot of those guys who are there are also giving some kind of kickback and peace also to it. I know like USA can't do anything, I'm not say can't do anything more, but you know, it's one of those things they just want to show the interconnected piece to it more in depth. So it's just really, really kind of positive some days. But let me ask you this question. <clears throat> you were present five, six this past year? Yeah, well, I was for a couple months, but okay. I was VP for... All right, VP all year. Yes. Interim president for a minute. So looking at that day one stuff, right, that you saw the information fair piece, what did you grab from that that you could take back to your five, six organization and be able to relay anything? So I think from the, from the information expo... A lot of it is just maybe just awareness okay. of us not realizing as air because a lot of it the intent was when you walked up they're like hey this is what we can bring to you and right. just because you're active duty military or your spouses and stuff like that so it's just kind of eye-opening like 
oh man, we have 20, 25 agencies that just want to give us and help us out because we serve. So that would probably be something I'd be able to tell the five, six and say, hey, you know, I know we're used to being told, you know, like, hey, there's all these opportunities out here, but you know, these organizations are willing to take the time to be like, literally, we'll give you, like you just said, money for right. tuition and whatnot and other ways they, they can support us. So just as a nice refresher for a lot of NCOs of what we can bring or what these organizations can give us. And not only that, but spread that message to our airmen as well, since it is the five, six and we sure, sure. help but all the airmen. Do you also see how the capability of people utilize, not just that, their information that you got from those 25 companies and businesses, but also how you could impact locally the same way, maybe not USA as much here, but like pioneer and how they could, you could utilize that same process and pieces and basically use a five, six info fair and be able to use that same piece there, how these local places are also bringing in Mission uh, 43 and stuff and these other companies and, and showing how they work hand-in-hand hand to really enhance our piece. You see how that can kind of play for you guys? Yeah, I totally could. And I think that it's kind of nice because a lot of people, especially on this installation, go through, um, what's the monthly? If uh, Not Right Start, but... Uh, Is it Right no, no, Start? I think it's Right Start. Right Start, yeah. I was... I always miss right start and FTEC, so yeah. Yeah, so so I mean, like. So the problem though is though, if you've been here for three years, four years, and you went to right start month two, yeah, and you didn't really care then, you just want to get to your work center, you just want to do other things, you're like, oh gosh, this appointment, I don't want to have to go through. That's something I think we don't we don't have like a mid start or a restart or a mid tour type situation where you know we have that opportunity for them to come in and and you you know utilize things differently or you talk about families and stuff because people's lives change completely. You know, and how do things change? All of a sudden, you go from you were single and you got here, and now you're married, and now things change. You know, that's a really good point, especially because I think a lot of people once they hit year one or two and they finally get their feet wet, they're like, "Man, I missed out so much stuff on the AFRC program," right? And it just blows their mind that they could have been doing all these cool things in the meantime. Yeah, or Um, by that point, they're like, "Oh, I'm finally I'm gonna get out of this place. I'm gonna separate, and now what do I do?" And finding these places like Mission Forty Three and the, the impact they can play locally, if you're gonna say locally or just need nationally, huge pieces there too. So day one is all informational stuff and everything else. So day two, how does that work out? So day two, let's see. Um, so one of the big takeaways, not just um, one of the first sergeants that they had been talking about, um, was all of their initiatives with suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. So which, even though the first sergeant started with that, I can honestly say. Apps the pack overall. Anytime there was an opportunity, it felt like anytime Chief Wright or anyone had had the opportunity to ask people, like, "Hey, do you have any questions?" The first thing they brought to the table was, "What's you know, what are we doing about suicide prevention?" Sure, it's a hot hot topic right it's now. It's a very very <clears throat> hot topic. So it was just kind of nice, in a way, too, to see that like, oh man, people are all over from all over the world are coming to Apps the pack right now. And you have the opportunity to ask all of our highest leaders any question. And the first thing that comes to mind is, hey, the suicide problem. What are we going to do about it? Sure. So, um, so what was uh, some kickbacks now? What, what was some tips? So the, one of the plan? great things that the first sergeants are doing, um, every base is basically, not every base, but a lot of bases are coming up with new initiatives on how they want to tackle that problem. So for the first sergeants, um, the suicide prevention, they're coming up with a CAS team. So we know usually CAS is close air support, Mm -hmm. but they're calling it close airman support. Okay. So it's basically a new initiative. um, But basically they have a tech sergeant, Rachel Gates, the first sergeant, and um, they're basically using the CIP process at their base to really dwindle down 
and find out what the suicide prevention problem or the suicide problem is at their specific base, if I understand their brief correctly. Okay. So basically they would get a bunch of airmen in a room, they do a CIP board, and they really narrow it down for their base. And what one of the takeaways they want you to get is their solutions at their wing might not be the same solutions at every wing. Sure. So basically the big picture of using CIP at every wing to find out maybe it might be specific to your F fifteen E mission mm-hmm. or maybe it's different you know an air force global strike command <clears throat> um so that was just kind of something that they they tackled they used cip to kind of narrow down what the problems that their airmen are facing with suicide so that was their way of kind of tackling that problem and that's how they're going forward with it okay um it's another wing what they're doing and it might be the same wing no this is Alpha air force base um they're using a quote-unquote passport to resiliency so their concern is they find a lot of airmen that they're knocking out their dorms, right? right. Um, they ask the question is, you know, basically to a bunch of airmen in the room, you know, raise your hands that it's Friday afternoon, who's going to go to the commissary, get all the junk food that they need, and stay in the room all weekend and, you know, play video games. And I guess it's an alarming number of airmen that raise their hands. That's today's generation, I and mean, this is what they're doing. Yes. And so... For them, it's a concern because, you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in your own head if you've had a really stressful week and you're not getting out and you're meeting other people. Um, So what they've started is basically, again, the passport to resiliency. And so what they do is they give them like a stamp card. And so um, basically, if you get enough stamps on this card, you get a day off. So in order to get stamps, you have to visit local agencies like, you know, go to a 5-6 meeting, go to a private org meeting, go to an FSS event. Okay. You know, if you volunteer, you know, just okay. these really yeah, basic yeah. things. And the intent is to get you out of your room, to get you out and supporting. So and it's also you get a day off. You've been around long enough to, to see the EPR changes and, and everything else, right? Yes. <clears throat> um, it, it's a situation that I went through NCOA a couple years ago. We talked about this. Um, when we went to the EPR changes, we dropped away from private orgs. Working, pushing volunteers in private orgs. Because that stuff didn't matter on EPRs now. But it did when it came down to it. How do I get a five? How do you get that that must promote? Because you're the quarterly award winner for your squadron. You're quarterly award winner for the wing. Those kind of situations. Well, how do you get quarterly award packages? You know? Well, because you're volunteering and you're part of private organizations. So when we stopped pushing that on EPRs and we started pushing just workflow only, what happened? We stopped... I worked you 20 hours a week, or if I worked you, sorry, 12 hours a day, 20 hours a day. We got the mission done. Yeah, mission's done. We're launching sorties. That's great. And, and I completely understand that, and that is the, the purpose of us being here. But at the same time, then we're great. See you later, and I'll see you in four hours or eight hours or depending upon our rest cycle, you know, and maybe even call you back sooner. It depends upon if somebody else does something silly, you know. Mm-hmm. And we lost track of that and what happened. We lost track of private orgs, and you've seen private orgs suffer. Here, especially, I mean, it's been a struggle for us, for all the private orgs to slowly rebuild. And it's there's so many different private orgs, of course, people get into. And yeah, we have a large but small base population, but it's also one of those things that it's difficult for people to, you know, I live in Boise, then what happens? And I have to waste, you know, 10 hours of driving plus the time of private org, plus my workload, plus take care of my troops, you know, and so you push those private orgs to the wayside because something's got to give, right? So I think one of the big, I mean, this is just. I stand on my pedestal yeah. <laughs> um, with private orgs is I think one of the reasons that private orgs have such a negative light is because they were associated with the five and the awards and the blah, blah. Sure. And so, you know, chasing awards, which if you go back to the core of what a private org is, depending on your specific one, like 
for me, obviously I'm passionate about the five, six, I'm passionate about it because I believe in NCO development. Right. So if I have an opportunity, you know, take tops off and let's have honest conversations with NCOs, that's all the private org is for that meeting. Like Correct. that is all, that's it. Yeah. Just networking with NCOs. And so why is that so bad? It's you not. Know? Yeah, it's, it's exactly. really not. Yeah. And actually it's honestly really great for these airmen. And the reason why is because then I get to know you on a non-work level. Yeah. And a lot of times we're not from the same work centers. And then we get to know each other. And then all of a sudden we're pulling ourselves out of that, that circle and bubble. So then all of a sudden when life hits you hard and you go through a divorce, you go through these kind of problems or financial problems or whatever else is causing you to really keep deep down with suicide awareness, those private org pieces, your, your, your teammates from those private orgs, the networking you've got from there are your friends now that are helping pull you up and pull you out yeah. versus the work center people who you don't want to hang out with. You know, because I don't know how many airmen I sit in my couch here and talk about separation and say, hey, I, I don't want to go hang out with these guys. I work with them. You know, they're not the same people I am. And that's fine. And, and honestly, you get to, what's really weird though, of course, we get to know each other at a root level. We are really weird and unique, but at the same time, we can get along really well too. But in private orgs, all of a sudden, you find that connection, kind of like you probably did the pack this week. You probably found some people you networked with outside oh, yeah. of your group you went down there with. And you, you found some different people, and all of a sudden, you're like, holy crap. Where are you from and everything else and you attach these people and 10 years from now you'll still like each other's stuff on Facebook you know and, and be friends with each other somehow <clears throat> and congratulate each other on retirement or something because that's just how that kind of works because of these these things the yeah, networking things absolutely so I've... this passport concept is amazing because if it pushes and pulls airmen to be involved in these events and things and get rewarded with that day off piece that we, they used to do a long time ago anyhow mm -hmm. that's outstanding because then it allows the airmen the opportunity to to really make sure they're getting out of the work center, out of that cycle, that the mental cycle that they're in that's, that's causing mental stress and awareness and really helping pushing. And, and of course, then allows us as NCOs and mentors to be able to help pull people up and say, all right, it's my turn to help you get out of, out of the funk you're in. Yeah, and one of the best <clears throat> things about it is, you know, I think a lot of people, not people, you know, private orgs, leadership, whoever, when they ask, what do the airmen want? What do the airmen want? They want time off. Yeah. You know, they just, yeah. Sometimes that's just, it's such a simple answer, and it's not always the easiest answer, but this is the, exactly that way of doing it, giving them time off. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, some of the examples is going to fitness. You know, if you go to three fitness sessions, you know, you get, sure. you know, you get a stamp each time. Like, okay. And that's getting them, okay, this is what a healthy lifestyle is, again, getting outside of my room and all that. So right, right. I think the passport idea it's really great, great idea. And I do have contact info and stuff like that if you want, because they already have Absolutely. the templates. Yeah, so and we all can that definitely push to it to our uh, first shirts here and, and, and look at it as an opportunity for us to utilize it here, because I think it could be really beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. I will say there was a general laugh in the room, so something that we might oh, want to fluctuate is um, basically 25 stamps equals a day off. Okay. And so I think at the time they're like, well, we haven't had anyone reach 25 yet. So maybe it's just something you might want to consider. Maybe a lower number in the beginning. 25 is a great number because that's basically a month. If you think about it, three PT sessions a, a, a week, right? Now we're talking about 12 PT sessions. In, that's half right there, just PT alone. So if you only do twice you know, a week, you know, because it's squadron PT type situations. But if you go to a fitness class or something like that, then you get an additional piece to that. Uh then I'm not giving you off so much that, that senior leaders aren't like, oh, I'm giving airmen off three days a month now. What am I doing in my life? If I'm only giving you one extra day a month off, that's still outstanding for you. So you I know? think, I mean, this is 
we can definitely, and that's the best part, yeah. we can customize it to our oh, base. Oh, yeah, always. Um, they did give, like, a limit on everything. So, like, okay. PT, you can only use up to three stamps for that okay. booklet. I got you. So, that way you couldn't be like, well, I'll go to the gym every day, so I get a day off for it. But, but at the um, same time, if, if we care about fitness, it, yeah. it comes to that piece, too. If you care about fitness and stuff, and that's what you're caring about, maybe it's not, you just go to the gym, maybe it's, you have to be part of these fitness classes, these FSS classes and stuff, spin classes and stuff, everything else. Maybe it's something different. Or maybe certain classes are... Or stamp classes, passport classes. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how customization could work well. Yeah. So, um, but yep, that was just the passport to resiliency idea, which was really awesome. Um, and then later on in that day, we rolled into the Air Force JROTC, mm -hmm. and so basically, um, this was a big recruiting opportunity for instructors. They yeah. desperately need instructors, they and do. so this and was crazy eye opener for me because I didn't realize. Yeah, it's an amazing program. Well, I I knew it was a great program, but I didn't realize the need for instructors was out there. Like yeah. For some reason, you just naturally think that. So a big piece that in the 90s, we did downsizing in the 90s. They pulled a lot of their population from those 90s instructors. Now we're 20 years away past that. These guys in their 40s are now in their 60s almost, you know, and it's that, that generation is done. So that's where they're at that next generation time for our instructors. I think that's probably the message they pushed off there too. Yep. So um, basically, do you know what Title I schools are? Yep. I was not oh, super aware of what it was, but um, basically, obviously, they need more instructors in Title I schools, um, but they do have instructors in almost every state. Um, they only hire retired personnel, um, and then, let's see, like, all their requirements are easily on their Air Force JROTC program, but basically, one of the biggest take takeaways was the opportunities of, you know, people that retire and they don't know what they want to do but they don't want to let go of getting to mentor and help people you know what better way to do that than prep our people oh yeah that potentially join our air force or just potentially are better civilians right. out in the world through <clears throat> high school so um they gave a really great passionate speech on that and i mean um the pay i'm not gonna lie the pay was a little confusing to because i'm not close to retirement the minimum instructor pay the mip they kept yeah yeah harping on there's, it breaks it all down on their website, I think, pretty well. But yeah, and you can definitely Google it out and figure it out really well. But I've seen some, I've seen it really work out great where a guy retired chief master sergeant, right? Had some VA benefits also, getting paid for his retirement pay, getting paid from the school. Dude's making like $80,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. So what a great job. Leave here, go there. And you get summers off. I mean, yeah, they got some some summer play and stuff and else, but most of the time you get summer off. How bad is it to work? You know, you're getting all the holidays off again. You know, and you go from from a, a senior leader, a mass sergeant chief, a senior mass sergeant or chief mass sergeant, you know, actually doing stuff, stressing about life to, okay, Back now to I worry, basics. yeah, now I worry <laughs> about just the small stuff here, and you're not even the main instructor, you know. Normally, there's an officer there in charge of that, and you're just coast assisting, and it's really laid back. It's a lot, a lot of fun that way, especially if you yeah. like dealing people. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that was that was a great eye opener for me. Um, let's see. So then we went into basically they gave us an idea which this i really really appreciated they gave us a brief on my they let me use my handy dandy there we go doop, 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 doop. so this um this is a two-part brief called growing the airmen we need okay and so this was given basically by i believe it was not afpc aetc okay yeah, I, yeah. I could be wrong the AETC, um, sure. But basically, they went over BMT and tech school. Yep. And they let us know some of the um, second Air Force command chief, Inc., is who the briefer was for one of them. 
um, basically an idea for us people that have obviously been in for a while and so we kind of lose grasp on okay what are these new generation receiving in BMT and sure, sure. So funny that reminds me the number one question was about suicide from our from us okay. in a way but the second question hot topic question um, from members across everyone was the new generation the new generation the new generation sure. how to help them how do we need to change as leaders to connect with them and so one thing I really want to you know I'm sure I have the quote written in here somewhere but um, our leaders really want us to get away from this discussion of like oh, these new kids because especially sure. yeah. <laughs> every generation has said the same thing about Absolutely. all of our generations Absolutely. and so they're getting I think they're getting really tired of people pointing fingers and you know what at the end of the day it just comes down to us as leaders need to change our approach yeah. versus assuming that they need to change because I mean obviously we can lead them and teach them but they're coming in so much more intelligent with degrees, education. Oh yeah. And so it was just a it was just a funny topic. But anyways, for growing the airmen we need, um, we had Chief Bass come and talk to us and they showed us the video, um, it's called Gate Gateway to the Air Force video. And this is now the video that they show all the parents coming mm -hmm. into the Air Force. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really it's pretty awesome. It, I mean it gives you chills. It does. It does. <laughs> so they started off with that and so you know, it kind of reminds us of what they're all going through. But one of the biggest differences, which you know about, but now our trainees are now experiencing is the age group is 17 to 39. Correct. So even though we we know we read it on paper that that's happening, it's just kind of crazy to hear how that influences that environment too. Sure. Um, as trainees, when you have TIs that are younger. Yeah, than the absolutely. That they're yeah, I, and you've got now you've got airmen with complete life experience. Yes. Um, complete. I mean, I'm talking. Families and. I mean, from a career aspect, I'm talking to an individual right now who's 28 years old, you know, and and 28 years old, what they've done on their their civilian career and stuff and else, no kids yet, but what they've done in civilian career and stuff and else is equivalent to what you and I have done in that same time period, you know. Um, you know, they've got some some college underneath them. They've got some professional experience to work in a hospital. You know, full blown things in, in the civilian world, civilian pieces, um, and. Now they're like ready for a change because, like anybody else is, they, they want more, mm -hmm. you know. And the problem with civilian sector sometimes you run into is civilian sector doesn't push more like we do in the Air Force. And it's difficult for you to just leave, you know, St. Elmo or St. Elks up here, you know, uh, St. Els to go anywhere. You just can't, just can't go just, just, just somewhere else. Go to Texas now and be part of their, their connection there because it doesn't connect that way, you know. Some places do. But not every company is that way. So it's really fun to see these these mature individuals come in and with, I mean, lots of life experience. And then, of course, now we can't treat them like, hey, you're just an airman. Oh, no. You know, I've got to treat you like the person that you really are. Because a lot of times the experience that you could bring in, it, it, it's exceeding sometimes some of our, our peers. And just because they're a staff sergeant doesn't mean they have the same piece there. Now, we're going down range, taking taking rounds. It's a completely different role. You as a staff sergeant are going to take control. Me as the airman going to sit back and, and do what I need to do. But when we're talking about initiative stuff and, and, and concepts, I was having a good conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about you guys switching over to the new Genesis program at the, the hospital and stuff, right? And they were like, oh, this is crazy how far behind our medical records and systems are compared, compared to private sector. And so it's kind of fun to see that kind of thing. Transition. Come, and transition changing. So it is. It is. It, it goes back to this point of, you know, I'm sure Chief Bass said this, that <clears throat> with them being tired of the, the pointing fingers, but that's a generational issue. And we'll never get away from that. The question is, is how can we embrace their, their, their strengths? And how can we really enroll and say, hey, 
I'm going to take this from you and we're going to move these things in and we're going to play this way. And it's like the passport concept, you know? Sure, 10, 15 years ago, Aaron didn't need that because we were doing stuff because we didn't have the you cell phones the and social media yeah. and tied in. And, and, you know, you had to go to the Airman Center to play all the video games because, one, you couldn't afford your own video games. And, two, you couldn't do the Wi-Fi and, and, and everything else you can do today. But now it's completely different. And so how do we, how do we adapt? We've got to just be creative. And, and it goes back to reaching out to the Airman. Like I think the, the first sergeant council said there, you know, reaching out, doing that the CIP there with the Airman and saying, hey – we're old. <laughs> We've been around a minute. Um, snap at me, guys. What's going on here? Or whatever, you know? That kind of situation. I, mean, I throw myself dated there on not knowing what I need to do. But you know what I'm saying? That, that's a whole whole piece there, of course. And with our organizations, the same way. That's one of the biggest faults I think we have as the Air Force Sergeant Association is our leadership is dated in age. If you saw that leadership there, we date in age, and that's the problem. We don't have these young generations coming out and saying, hey – this is what I need, and this is inspired and everything else as much. You know, it took us nine months of pushing them to update a website. And it's like, I need you guys on the fire like that. I need you on Twitter. I need you, you know, I mean, the president's doing it. You got time to do it, you know? So. I will say, um, one of the cool things about um, not not too much skipping away from the BMT, but sure. from the tech school, I think it was also Chief Bass. Let me find my note. Because um, it came up that, oh, there we go. Um, people are raising their hands. They're like, Hey, I'm a part of, I think it was a comm career field and our sure. changes are nonstop mm-hmm. on the go. Like how come it takes so long for us to update our CDCs, to update sure. policies, to update this. And, um, it was really nice because they basically said, you know, that they stopped what they were doing in a way and they gave control back to the CFMs. And they're like, you know what? We understand that it takes, you know, 18 to 36 months for something to change. Now we want to change it to 18 days. So we're, yeah. they're trying to give the, the power back to the CFM so that way <clears throat> basically Air Force policy or, you know, their workarounds or whatever aren't getting in the way of their tech school that needs to be changing as fast right, as right. And, and there's, there's a lot of change with that too when it comes to change with EOCs and stuff and everything else. And I had a good conversation with uh, our testing person here. And, you know, he's talking about the EOC change that's going to happen in the next three or four years about maybe even dropping EOCs because of how fast changes are happening in certain places. They can't keep up with stuff. By the time, you know, you got Airman three years away from a change, they're testing on information and studying from information they don't even use anymore. So how do you do that? And, and do we waste money and, and consistently trying to upgrade and, and change these testing? Or do we just drop testing out and make it all JQS style? You know, and that's... That's a whole piece I'm there, sure modification. A bunch of airmen would be yeah. really thankful for that. <laughs> They'd be thankful, but at the same time, the question is, is do we lose a testing piece and ensuring that we're good trainers? Because that's a problem. With EOC, not only does it test the airmen, but also test the trainer. You know, And it really just decides who's really got it squared away here. Yeah, you know, and I mean, if you think about it, I remember going through tech school and I passed on my test. I was like, yeah. cool got it and then you get to your first duty station they're like no 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 you're not done <laughs> you know nothing <laughs> you are not gonna a, do all this yeah. all over again in a way with you and you're like dang it like i thought yeah i was just you know so i could see i could see the positive and negatives definitely yeah. on both yeah. sides i understand it too especially get people who are test stressors there's no need Oof. to get through that i mean that's yeah. old pfe skt and everything there you it's go it's just just a part of it yeah um one of the nice things when they got into the bmt as well is you know one of the quotes that they wrote down or i wrote down was um these ti's they don't care about how they roll a shirt we care if they will try to meet the standard yeah so one of the greatest things is you know they're trying they've obviously are shifting how they're instructing but one of the takeaways is they want to see like hey you know 
like they just said, like, how do you follow the standards? You know, mm -hmm. are you going to fit into our Air Force? And do you know, like, are you going to get too caught up in being upset that you, you know, do you think folding the shirt's dumb or whatever reason? Or are you just going to be like, hey, this is the standard. This is how we want you to do it. So right. that was really nice. Um, they did want to reiterate, so I guess, you know, you have to pass a PT test on all components before graduating BMT. And so you think that'd be common sense, but I guess for some reason that's not. So, you know, you can't be on any waivers or anything like that. Right. And so that rolled in, rolls into the tech school, you know, I guess from other tech schools, it wasn't always a strict compliance that sometimes people would show up to their first duty station with a failed PT test in tech school. So that's something that they're definitely making policy now that that's, it should be just as strict leaving tech school as it is in BMT. Like you right, should not right. be showing up to your first duty station with a failed PT test. Or it's not, I, I mean, it's, it's like ordering something online. If, I, if you order something on Amazon and you get to your house and it's broken, are you happy about it? <laughs> no, not at all. It's a customer service thing, right? Um, they're also doing, um, they're ch changing some of the stuff that they're doing in BMT. So an example of that is weapons qual instructing. So before, I guess, um, it was just kind of the basics of mm -hmm. what you need to do the weapons qual, but now it, I'm pretty sure they're doing it in line with what you do at your normal duty station. Yeah. So there's basically, there's no confusion for the trainees coming in like, oh, we have to do so much more air force. Nope. Whatever you did in BMT, that's how you do it in the real world. So that's kind of nice. Um, they also changed beast a little bit. They now, you know, they might be doing uh, night attacks. So basically, you know, um, oh gosh, surprise. We, we had sleep time. We could sleep and it was great. Now yeah. it's like, away. So they're definitely, you know, testing the training skills of how they handle stress. Um, and before, I guess there used to be a, um, a certain amount of PT times they had to do that was less, but they've increased the... PT amount to 31 to 44 sessions basically almost every single day they have to do PT um, and that even includes after graduation because they want to instill that hey you know just because you're graduating you're an airman now right. you can go eat chilies and all the garbage you want but no even after graduation you have to wake up and go do PT so they know that like hey is this this isn't just a stepping stone you have to continue on being healthy let me give you the back in my day was that way for you guys when you were in basic training stuff I, I mean, mean we had PT seven days six days a week well we yeah. definitely had pt i i mean everything was a blur and yeah. basic but i remember pt happened a lot um but i don't think it happened as much as they're doing it now for oh, really? sure okay. yeah yeah it feels i i i feel like strongly that we we had pt yeah six days a week sunday was the only day we didn't have pt it feels like i mean maybe it maybe it fluctuated over the past couple of years i'm not sure but oh i'm, I'm um, sure it has they definitely, I think one of the biggest takeaways, which I, like I said, I appreciate is like even after graduation. Yeah. So it's just a mental, you know, Continuous. Like, exactly. Yeah. So when yeah. you get to tech school, you don't stop, you know, it's, yeah. it's just a BMT thing that you do. Um, and then the nice thing is they recognize that people get hurt, you know, so, yeah. you know, you as a recruiter, you know, how many people come through that don't really do PT before they join, Absolutely. they join the Air Force and go through BMT. So now yeah. they've implemented that they have a um, athletic trainer in each squadron. So yes. the intent of this is so if you do get shin splints, if you're a person that hasn't been used to a lot of PT before going to BMT, you have right. someone there that's customized and ready to help you out to make sure you can do your full PT test you know, when you're done at BMT. Yeah, that, that's solid because it, it does come in that situation. And it's not as elevated as much as, hey, you need a warfare hall and start getting medical ordered and stuff like that. No, sometimes it's just simple things of, hey, well, you need to stretch differently. You do things differently, you know. Uh, your impact running, how you're doing things. Maybe it's just a small tape thing or just icing. Because, yeah, you go to somebody, run zero to running, you know, now, now sudden 42 times in the next eight weeks.
Yep. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. So one of the things that um, I guess you know from their perspective, which I totally see where they're coming from, is you know how easy is it for us as frontline supervisors to get our people coming from tech school and be like, man, what are they teaching them in tech school? You know. It's just, sure. Sure. So you know. What they wanted to say, which is really cool in this quote, you can't change, oh, so people, you know, however old they are in life, right? You know, we have 18 to 39 year olds coming in, so you can't change 18 to 39 year olds of habits in eight and a half weeks of BMT and four or five weeks of tech school. It's up to the frontline supervisors. Right. So, which yeah. is great. I mean, not some people's tech schools, you know, you know, are shorter or even longer, but no matter what, that's still their entire lives that they've right. lived a certain way. So BMT and tech school, this short time frame, isn't going to completely change them. So it frontline supervisors, they're with us for what, at least a year. Sure. We're lucky, a couple right. of years. So you know that that long term impact is going to mean a lot more than the short term that they had in BMT and tech school. Yeah, I think from a leader's perspective and from a trainer's perspective, I've always been politely, I don't know what you've learned before. I don't know who taught you or how they taught you. And give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to act as if you know nothing. And you can kind of prove me as we go because I'm going to train you. Because our equipment here versus how you utilize something different there is completely yin and yang some days. Mm -hmm. And they're going to show you that basics in tech school. That's it. And usually your, your career field, like your certain mission set, that's a completely different game. you know. And it's not going to be because they're, oh, we're teaching more advanced things in basic training. No, no, it's our tech school. No, it's the opposite some days. It's here. We're on the fly. Back to what we talked about. Things are changing so fast that I need you to learn like this. So when you get here, all right, forget what you learned a little bit, but don't forget it at all. But let me show you how we're going to do things here and make things work. And not, that's not the old adage of, well, that's how we do things here type mentality. No, but not that. They, they learned the baseline in yeah, school. Yeah, exactly. And now they need to understand that specific <clears throat> mission. So whatever right. you teach them here also might be really different yep. than absolutely at a different wing depending on your AFSC. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's good stuff that they're kind of revamping that a little bit. Yeah. So we did have, um, let's see, we had a brief that got um, overlapped with, you know what, I'll just go into this one. Because basically it was, it was neat. It was four command chiefs that said, you know what, we can just put on a brief real quick. <laughs> and they impromptu, and it was great. you got to love it when that happens. Um, so... Um, just one last thing on the leading the airmen we need. Um, they are looking into distant le uh, learning courses. Basically, that in-between time between um, ALS, NCOA, and senior NCO. There's still sure. large chunks of time oh, yeah, in absolutely. between that. For some airmen. Yep. Yeah. So they're basically just recently signed up, uh, teamed up with Arizona State University for distant le learning courses. And so basically, I think they're going to try and do that themselves because if Air Force were to do it alone, it costs about $200 million a so year. Did you ever do um, NCOA-LDC? Yes. Okay, so that is supposed to be bridged in between NCOA basically, or, well, there's two of them, I guess, but it's supposed to be that bridge piece. That makes sense? So I knew it was... You would, I'm talking about the whole like week-long course or two-week-long course. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, no, no. I'm talking okay. about, I'm thinking of course 14. No, no, 15. no, not distance okay. learning. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so maybe it's NCLDP. I don't know. There's a distance learning, there was a course that they came out. Gosh, I was, this is only like a year after I went through ALS that they came through, I went through this course. It probably could have been two years and still would have been beneficial, but <clears throat> it was designed for two weeks, basically a mock 
ALS. What kind of, I don't know if you've seen how they've remodified ALS. ALS, they've got rid of some testing pieces and everything else. It's now about airmen taking care of airmen type mentalities uh, and doing a lot of cool, fun stuff in there also and really building supervisors. That piece now, they break that down to a two-week course. You can even break it down to a one-week course. And now you, you as an airman, at your year three, you have to go through this course because I need to re-blue you type thing. So it's kind of like the pack was. You know, it's kind of built into things like that where they've got people come in, you have guest speakers, you do some team building pieces also though, which is not the pack, but you do some team building pieces. You do a lot of things like that. And, and so for us, it was two weeks of this. And then of course, you would do it again um, about two or three years after NCOA. So same situation. So about every three years in your Air Force career, you're doing some kind of additional PME courses, which is re-bluing you, rebuilding you as a, as a leader, as an airman. You know, it's kind of built that way also. So when I went through that, it seems like University of Texas State or something like that was like the key, same way Arizona State, it sounds like still working into play. And it was really beneficial that way because we got college credits for it, which is great, and leadership and management, which is really awesome. Um, but also it was just that re piece for me. I got the, sure, I didn't care about that, but I did. You know, does that make sense? So I, I can definitely understand how that's beneficial. And so I've, something I've been an advocate for a, for, for a while because you do get airmen, especially recently with the staff starting, you know, uh, promotion. <clears throat> I got an airman I know of that he's at nine years right now as a senior airman. Just with the ALS last year at year seven and a half or eight. And it's like, where's this kid been? You know, I mean, he should have been a, an ALS leader year three, you know, not because he didn't deserve it, but just that if we would have pushed him into that, his career, maybe he would advance faster. Maybe he would have given more or something. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. Um, I know for a lot of us going through the course 14, 15, and NCOA, ALS, one of the biggest takeaways a lot of us get from it um, is that networking. Yeah. You know, not networking just to get to know the people on base, but it's just like, hey, what are you going through? Like, right. we're all going through this new EPR form. Right. Like, how are you facing it in your section? So I like the idea of the of the intent of something in between, like you said, right. like a, a week or two week, but I do always prefer face to face because I love hearing other people. And it was face to face. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a small classroom. I mean, so kind of like a 15, 20 person conference room. That's all it was. It was really small. So it was almost like, again, if you take FTAC and you do FTAC again in that same FTAC size classroom, you know, except we do it again at year three, except it's not FTAC now. You know, it's that same piece like there. An NCO pack, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it's an airman pack first, and then yeah, an NCO pack later that you have to go to. Um, maybe you send people to TDY, maybe you don't. Just kind of depends. Maybe you know, maybe it's a reward piece for some people type things. They send a couple people every once in a while, but then it's a, and really they say two hundred million dollars, but honestly, we talk about what it really requires to run the FTAC. Give me two people, and all of a sudden I can do it at every base. And was it 200 million people? Uh, 270, 140, 500,000. Yeah, you know, we could, we could break down pretty pretty inexpensively. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and when they build in that $200 million value, of course, they build into your and my time and how much it costs to you know, bring us into play also. Which is oh, yeah, absolutely. The they, they just said how expensive. Oh, they were mainly saying like how expensive it was if the Air Force were to do it standalone. Right. So how much money mm -hmm. they're saving by partnering with this university. So. Right, right. And one of the big benefits, of course, is doing that with a university is, like I said, when I went through it, Texas State, I think who it was, we actually got college credit hours. And, and great, so yeah. it's toward leadership management pieces and that helped out for CCF and helped out for other things. And then you start questioning why you have 162 credit hours and no bachelor's degree, but that's a whole different <laughs> issue. You know? So... <clears throat> Yeah, it's super, super positive they're starting to look at. 
So one of the, um, it kind of ties into what you're just talking about. So another, so this idea I believe started at Osan um, and it's been spreading at, I think to about five or six bases now and it's called Air Power Leadership Academy. Right. Um, have you heard of it? No. Okay. So I didn't know, yeah, when I hear academy, I think, you know, you can't help but someone's like, all right, I've got the NCO Academy. Right. Or, you know, you oh, we have all these academies. Yeah. What new academy do we have now? But this one is actually really, really neat. So the whole core of Air Power Leadership Academy is deliberate mentorship. Um, so kind of tie into what we just said about how, you know, having something in between ALS and NCOA, you know, it's something that's like, hey, we need to refresh you mm -hmm. on, you know, what it is to be a leader and how to connect with airmen. But this specifically is deliberate mentor mentorship. Right. So they have classes. And so basically it's one hour for um, one hour a week for 10 weeks. This is the academy. Okay. So okay. you could choose lunch. You sure, could do sure. whatever. And so your um, instructors or whatever are basically senior NCOs. You yeah. just have a bunch of senior NCOs. You get NCOs together. And it's this deliberate mentorship. So right. one hour once a week for 10 weeks. And you just sit down and you go over... Um, different topics that they've come together with their they call it a lesson plan okay but basically it's just giving that opportunity for maybe people that don't have senior NCOs they're not getting mentorship so they're we're just not connecting with them because I mean honestly yeah. there's there's been times for our entire both of our careers I'm sure where we just don't connect with our leadership yeah, and because so, and sometimes element. and sometimes we don't need to like there, there's times where we need to be able to have the the capability to turn around and say no or yes or just be quiet shut up and call her type thing because that's what needs to happen, that relationship. But then we need to look somewhere else for that mentor because that's somebody else's career guidance, peace, and everything else. And that person needs to be more of a friend and mentor than your supervisor needs to be because the lane that needs to be involved and in what needs to be happening Yeah. the mission. And, I mean, this um, this started off at Osan, like I said, I believe, and then it just took off. Now it's at Beale, Peterson, Luke, Ellsworth. Like, all these bases are reaching out. Nice. Um, and, yeah, and it's they really it's again it's simplicity oh, you yeah, know like yeah. the lesson plan mm -hmm. isn't intended to be crazy it's mm -hmm. senior ncos doing what they're supposed to be doing mentoring right. our ncos so it, you've been you have a classroom of about um they said no more than 12 students in a room just because the intent is open conversation the bigger okay. the classes get so it's like 12 to 1 senior ncos to, um, to one or Let's see. So basically, each senior NCO has six to ten people. Okay. So maybe right. you have two senior NCOs. Okay. You split the room, something like that. But this is all trial and error because they've like they've done this at so many bases now that they're right. finding what what fits for their wing. Sure. Um. But they want you know they're also reaching out to the for the students to be the informal leaders. You know, not right. the Absolutely. always the firewall fives, but the people that are like, hey, blunt conversations. I connect with my airmen, but this yeah. is what's wrong. And senior NCOs helping mentor and guide them so yeah. sometimes those uh those, those middle road airmen are the people who are solving problems but they're just a little too loud some days <laughs> you know and it's okay um so yeah and i think that's just one of the greatest things um that they took away from that is just basically it's not intended to be a stringent program it's just it's literally that two words deliberate mentorship you sure. know finding you know like hey 12 16 ncos on this base they need somebody Here's two senior NCOs I can connect with them. Right. Um, and because it's such a long time period and not just a day or a couple of days, it allows the opportunity for at first to have the whole, you know, ALS style storming, norming phase, you know, type situation mm -hmm. in, in a group in team building. And after 10 weeks, you know, you're able to, I hey, you've developed a relationship now. 
Yeah. And not just I just saw you for a week. Oh, I saw you a week that one time, right? No, no, no. I, I've now yeah. I've known you and seen you, known you and seen you, and that mentoring now spreads on to be a lifetime of, of mentoring, not just that small group there. Yeah. So that's that's super awesome. Good job, Osan. Yeah. This is um, this is great. I mean, I literally and it might have been Kunsan, but or this is something Kunsan. I was like the pack out. Good the job, five pack six out. or total force development or the Sirencio or the top yeah. three or anyone could like reach out to these POCs and. I mean, yeah. I, I wish I could. If I wasn't deploying, I'll, I'm going to give this back to um, the new council, but this is something that you, yeah, it's yeah. so easy to it, tack on. It needs to happen here fast. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, there's anyone here that definitely could use it. Um, so we did also have a brief from the 12 Outstanding Airmen of the Year. Yeah, okay. um, yeah uh, they did a whole board panel, right? Yep, they did a whole panel. Yeah. How was that? Probably, um, probably pretty motivating? Uh, it was good. I think what the best part everyone loved about it is how humble everyone is. You oh, know, yeah. it came down to the core, like, because I don't think... Anyone, I mean, I'm sure they've been asked so many times, like, hey, how do you, you know, how do I become that airman Get gets up there? And they're like, they're honestly just be, you know, their, their biggest thing was like, just know your job. You know, biggest thing is know what your team brings to the table. So, yeah. you know, if you take the way the eye and everything and focus on the team and, you know, and understanding why you want to achieve excellence. Um, none of the board panel members wanted, you know, like that wasn't right, they right. said this year I'm going to be the 12 outstanding. It was yeah. just know why they wanted to be great you know yeah. and pursuing it that way i went to als back in 2010 with a outstanding airman of the year uh okay. 2009 outstanding airman of the year and uh yeah same situation you would never known it like just just talking to the person or else you'd never known it just, authenticity. just just they were who they are you know and <clears throat> i think when it finally came out who that they did and everything else there were a couple people were like why do you do that blah blah and it's like yeah there's awards packages and stuff and process but it's not about that it's about just being you Mm-hmm. And being true to you, and always doing you, and, and just pushing forward. And if you're trying to be that person to shoot for that award, you're probably not going to get it. No, because that's yeah. just not how things work. You know, it absolutely. happens because it happens. Oh, you know? it absolutely yeah. does. And I think that's one of the great things I got from all twelve. You know, all twelve members. None of them seem like, you know, what is it called? Wood wood chasers, or you know what? Sure, sure. <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. But yeah, all of them are just like just take care of your people you know it comes yeah. down to just taking care of your people and absolutely. your people will take care of you absolutely yeah you can't can't push that message hard enough um so. we did have the also the legislative forum yeah, yeah so that was a real nice eye-opener as well um anything hot anything anything new so things i think the biggest pushing? thing that i mean so i'm medical so i yeah, hear yeah. about this stuff all the time oh, yeah. maybe other people haven't but you know fighting for the consistency of care is a big thing that they're doing bring my print out but um basically making sure that they're not pulling back on the type of care they give the veterans um us is active duty whenever we go off base and all like sure. that so there might be changes coming there but they're trying to fight it um they're still stuck on this which i am i'm happy about um the dual military bh yeah it did yeah, not come yeah. up this year so they're thankful for it but they're still ready for that fight if it comes yeah. back and, um, you know, I'll be honest. If there's one thing I've got a frustration with our AFSA councils um, is we're not proactively fighting. Does that okay. make sense? Like, we fail in that, that realm. We need to be proactively fighting. We need to fight for that stuff today and, and enforcing it and putting policy in place versus yeah. waiting, versus waiting versus, yeah, I mean, because that's the biggest problem is when we reactively fight for that, hold on a second. Hey, ma'am? You mind at 9 o'clock? Yes. All right, you have a seat oh, down the hall, sorry. and I'll come grab you in a minute. All right, thank you. All right, no problem. Oh, you're fine. I'm not really to talk about. That's all right. Uh, and so it, it's a situation that we struggle uh, for the Air Force Art Association and their their head council and legislative and their 
their uh, their lobbyists because they're not proactive enough in my mind. Um, they should be doing today and having the DOD come out and set policy today, and not waiting for Congress to come out and say, "Oh, you know what? We need to reduce this and everything else." Because it's real simple, you're married to an active military member, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I don't. I don't care if you came in with kids or without kids, or married or without ki- married, or got married to somebody else or anything else. If we have a BH rate for a military member. It is be exactly. It's military. Member. I don't care if you have dependents or not. Like, I, and I've got dependents, and is, if that means they reduce my dependent rate, you know, to to meet the the single rate, it would be frustrating for a year or two. I'd figure it out, but I'd be happier than I get more than you do because you're a single airman versus me being an airman with kids, and it's it's just I, I appreciate the extra money they give us for that, but we need to have a simple policy on that and. Yeah, I mean, because look, I, I, the joke for me a couple years with an insurance agent, uh, she dropped, we got we lost like a fifteen percent good student discount. I'm like, oh, because you're married, so your wife can't be a good student. Also, I said, oh, you know, a uh, divorce attorney, because I'll you know fifteen percent is fifteen percent, right? I mean, Geico says it all the time, so it's like, oh, you know, I might have to just get a get a divorce here to save myself some money. We're still gonna be married. <laughs> we ain't be married though, because I mean, money's money. I mean, so. I can't tell how many times I've heard people joke about like. You know, they're in love and they're married. And they're like, oh, we're going to take away one of your BHs, though. Like, okay, well, if we just get divorced and we live together. Yeah, yeah. Like roommates, like everybody else does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't do anything about it. So Which is sad talk, but. It is. But hopefully that's something we can get on quite a bit about is being being proactive. Because proactive is where we need to be. And honestly, that's the biggest thing. I've, my biggest complaint is we're just not enough. I'm, I'm being proactive. We're too much reactive, and that's. We're planning for this, guys. We're planning for this. No plan for it. Let's go. Move policy now. That's the whole point purpose of this, this mm-hmm. po- program here. So So let me, I want to make sure I hit any, like, big ones. I apologize about your meeting. Oh, you're fine. Um, I took a lot of notes, so. <laughs> so Chief Wright came and talked to us. Um, his topic, resilience. Yeah. It's obviously a hot topic right now. Always. Um, the best thing is he basically, and I think that um, it was kind of cool. I, the Mountain Home Air Force Base. Facebook page sure. actually streamed or uploaded his talk that we had with all the resilience yeah, yeah. members. So that was cool. Yep. And there basically about six people that went through their own forms of resiliency and how they bounced back and shared their stories. And, um, you know, honestly, it was just, I mean, we had one member up there that, you know, was a great guy, um, had cancer, had everything, you know, in a way. Sure. He almost felt like his world was tearing down on him. And, you know, he was able to reach out to organizations to help him bounce back. And So my struggle, of course, I want to see is not that airman. I appreciate that airman all day long. Uh, I saw an airplane diagram a couple years ago, and it was from World War II, right? <clears throat> these bombers kept coming back, all shut up. So what did the engineers decide to do? They said, oh, these all these areas that are all shut up, we'll reinforce these areas. And these planes will not get shot up there. And then another engineer came in and said, it's not those areas. That's the areas that the planes will return back to duty, right, in those areas. We don't need to reinforce those areas. We need to reinforce every area that doesn't have a bullet hole because every plane that's not coming back is from those. So it's not the airmen that we can't talk to the airmen that's committed suicide. We can't do that. It's unfortunate. But it's the airmen that have got to the point and struggled and failed. And now reach out and say, hey, did we say this? Did we do this? What did we do? What could we have done that we didn't do? Because you did fail. And you have faltered. And we did leave you behind. Now how do we reach out and say, hey, what, what could we have done? What should we have done that we didn't do? Because sure, it's great. Oh, I utilize this organization, that organization, everything else. That's awesome, outstanding. We talk about these things all the time. In every PME course I've ever been in, from basic training through you know now, we talk about these things. But it's about not about those courses, it's about what what happened to that airman that we let him fail? 
that we let them falter, that we, that we left them behind? What happened? Because there's somewhere in there that we fell apart, and that's a huge piece there. So, um, personally, I challenge those guys to find these airmen that, that we kicked out three years ago for mental health issues. Find these airmen that we and say, all right, what did we do wrong? And let's see, so I can save these next set of airmen, not you. We kicked out because of disciplinary issues. You know, what do we do wrong? What could we done differently? You know, because that's that's a huge piece. That's definitely a fair point, and um, one of the echoing messages that all of these members did have, though, was that whether it was someone in their leadership, you know, a wingman, or it was someone like this organization, that sure. were like, hey, I that's know there's saved something them. wrong. Yeah, 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 and, and, that, and that's that's, great. that's what we need to do, and that's what we're trained to do. And you and I will both do that. We both see that from people, but it's about the people that we didn't see. Yeah, because we You're both right. know those people we we don't see every day. Well, they even admit to it. There's, and it's so true. Like there's, I think there was one or two personnel. They're like, man, I was functioning fine. Mm-hmm. You would never know it. And you know, how do you reach out to those ones that don't show any signs? You know, sometimes you can't perfectly hide it. And yeah. All you can do is, you know, at least try to remain open and, you know, open yeah. to where they know they can come talk to you when they do finally decide. Yeah, Hopefully right. finally decide to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and people, you've got to realize, too, that uh, depression is a uh, is a terminal illness. Depression will kill you. The question is, will cancer kill you first? Yeah. And actually, it's funny, it's a quote I have from Chief Wright. Um, he said, just because someone's a high performer and sharp does not mean... They're not making. They're not masking what's wrong. Oh, absolutely. So exactly what we we're just talking about. Yeah. You know, it's just you know, it's. Yep. He even recognized that. He's like, hey, all these people have significant things, but that doesn't always mean it has to be significant for them to be really struggling. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Do do do. Limited. Oh, Let me. <laughs> I wanted. I took so many notes. Let's see. I wanted to really get onto the um, Chief Master Sergeants of the Air Force. A couple of their. Their. Oh, here we go. Um. So 1,800 people in total were about in attendance to this mm-hmm. AFSA pack. So you know, great variety of people. Um. And basically, all of our chief, previous Chief Master Sergeants of the Air Force had a, a bunch of um, great t- takeaways. But some of these quotes really just like hit home with me and I think a couple of them I recorded because I was just a fan yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Chief Finch he um, he actually it was funny he quoted Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones Okay. so he was just okay. like I know all of y'all watch Game of Thrones so let's get it um, but basically there's a you know one. Of, are you on Game of Thrones fan yeah okay yeah. so you know how Tyrion Lannister talks to Bran you know mm-hmm. about what connects people's stories Sure. And so when people ask them, you know, as being chief masters in the Air Force, you know, you know, what's that thing that still connects to the Air Force and them is the stories and it's experiences. Because even when you hang up the uniform, it's not over. Absolutely. So that's a, that was a really nice tie that he had it. Um, chief Roy, he spoke on education of our enlisted force. And, you know, that was a big initiative for him when he yeah. was chief master in the Air Force. Um, he said, most educated enlisted force. Um, we are the most educated enlisted force in the world. The next few years, we'll have more enlisted members with bachelors than officers. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just, we already have more masters. More more enlisted members have master's degrees than officers have master's degrees. It's just baffling. Yeah. Like, how much do we bring, you know? Yeah. Especially compared to all these other services. Yeah. And, I mean, you've got to, we, we, the community college, the Air Force, of course, is the pinnacle of that. Oh, yeah. No other branch has that defined that way. Um, and they lose that structure 
every year and every day because of that. And we talked about $200 million to be able to do an academy in something small. And I'm sure the, the budget on community college Air Force would have been the same way. But then all of a sudden, it, it's ingrained into everything else we do. And so it's cost value. You know, return on investment is huge because of that. Yeah. Um, they went into, you know, obviously a, a lot of people were asking questions, you know, of, you know, what they did back when they were chiefs. And, you know, we've heard this before, but it's really true with Chief Roy. He said you have to give people the opportunity to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, and I think we've all heard before, it's not a one-mistake Air Force, it's a one-crime Air Force, you know, if okay. you haven't heard that. But that's okay. one thing that they're definitely echoing these days is, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Like, you're human. You can grow and learn from them. But crimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Can't, they can only do so much of that. Yeah. Um, Chief Roy is actually um, reflecting on an incident because someone had asked a question, you know, about top cover. and. Sure. You know, it's actually funny. Some of the older chief Roy, um, chief masters of the Air Force were like, "What's top cover?" Like that's just, you know, it's a really, it's you know, it's just such a term that okay, obviously yeah, is grown and left, and yeah, and it happens. Um, so they're asking, you know, how do you know when the right time to do top cover? I think was kind of the question in a way. And so Chief Roy answered, you know, I've had to remove diamonds from six first sergeants. My top cover wasn't for those shirts, but for those airmen that needed it. And so it's just kind of a nice, you know, reminder of, you know, just because someone is in a position to help others, it doesn't necessarily mean, obviously, in this scenario that they did what they were supposed to be doing. Sure. And that he was able to be the top cover for those airmen. And that was just a, you know, a nice applaud around the room of knowing, like, yeah. using your, your rank the right way. Um, Chief Finch also, you know, really hit on, you know, we have the responsibility to grow leaders above and below us, which we all know, and you know how important that is, especially with the the generation, you know, that's yeah. what we were talking about earlier, you, this new generation, you know, they're helping grow us as leaders, because we can't just assume that they're going to connect the way we it connected for us. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> Chief Gaylor, um, he was my favorite, I got, I got a picture with him. If there's anything lacking today, it's common sense. I know plenty of people with degrees that are idiots. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, it, and especially my wife's in education, so it's, it's a huge piece for us. Um, you get people rush out, push out all the time. Yeah. Hey, get, get, get your degree, get your degree, get your degree. Just because you got a degree doesn't mean you don't actually know how to apply anything. Yeah. You know, and that's a huge piece there, so. Well, listen, I really appreciate you beaking that back for us. Yes, I'm going to get you one more, just one more quote, because I got it on camera, and it, it took the room, like, a round of applause. Um, if you don't mind, if I oh, give go you for one it. more. Yeah. Let's see. I guess I could say it. I was just going to, you know, just for effects, it was fun. Oh, here we go. Let's see if it doesn't. That's a Damn. Well, basically, he says, that's a politically correct NCO. Politically correct NCO is the worst NCO um, because they get people killed. <laughs> And so, you know, obviously you, you had people that were applauding it. Some people that are like, ah, you know, this is a harsh statement. And that came from Chief Parrish. And so, but his point, I get it. Yeah. His point was definitely, um, you know, I don't, I, I think politically correct when he said that, you know, there's so many different ways that you can look at that. You know, you can look yeah. at it as like, hey, you know, 
trying to say the right thing without, you know, hurting anyone's feelings, just trying to get the point across. However, you know, sometimes we have too many people that are too scared to actually say, you know, like they're trying to make people happy versus sure. telling them what they need to hear. Sure. So that was his takeaway with that. So I was trying to yeah. have the whole effect, but I didn't. <laughs> I completely understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, and today's EO society though, EO world. You know, it's one of those things you got to be political correct, but at the same time, you got to make sure the mission's happening and make you got that, that fine line is difficult to, to merge. I'm sure uh, when the chief was around, things are a lot different back then. You could say and do things a little differently. Oh, yeah. And when he said it, I think his biggest takeaway and maybe politically correct isn't always the, the best way to hammer it. But it was just the biggest thing is, you know, when you're, again, growing your leaders, people yeah. above and below you, you know, don't always have to tell them what they want to hear. Tell sure. them what they need to hear you know, what's really going on and how the mission's getting done. So that yeah. was something that just, like, I think hit home for a lot of us. We're like, you know, man, like, sometimes it's okay to just be honest, yeah. honest with them. Sometimes you got to. You got to, yeah, you can't sugarcoat things. You just got to be like, boom, this is it. And then step back and let things happen because it's frustrating. And some people don't take it the right best way. But especially 